Welcome back, everyone. This is The Changelog. We're a member-supported blog and podcast that covers what's fresh and what's new in open source. You can check out the blog at thechangelog.com and our past shows at 5x5.tv slash changelog. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stikoviak, and also Andrew Thorpe. Hey, what's going on? I didn't ask you to say hello this week, did I? No, I'm winging it. Kind of threw you off a little bit. Yeah. Now we're, we're always winging it around here, so... To, to wing it even further, you can tune in live every Tuesday at 5 Central Standard Time right here on 5x5, and this is episode 101, and we're joined by Isaac Schluter. He's the maker of NPM, and he's the core maintainer of Node, and he's also a JavaScript hacker, obviously, at, uh, at Joyent. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Thanks. Happy to be here. It is, uh, and it's been a while since we had uh, this topic on the show, but before we uh, dive deep into this conversation, we have a sponsor yeah, so real quick, I want to give a shout out to Pete Keen for sponsoring our show today. He has a new ebook out there called Mastering Modern Payments Using Stripe with Rails. We use Stripe at the Changelog, who doesn't, right? And his book aims to help you with topics like why a simple 10-minute integration isn't enough, dealing with security, including PCI DSS, Stripe.js, Checkout.js, subscriptions, marketplaces, testing, and more. It's a great resource for Rails developers that want to get started with Stripe. For $29, you get the guide, which includes 116 pages and a 100 code samples. For $59, you get the source code as well. And for $299, you get a team license so you can share it all with up to 50 team members. Check it out at petekeen.net slash mastering hyphen modern hyphen payments. Thanks a ton to Pete for sponsoring today's show. Absolutely, man. That's, uh, we, we love Stripe, man. I absolutely love Stripe. Yeah, I think a lot of developers are kind of heading that way. So it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a good so resource. easy to use, and it integrates with everything, man. And jeez, well, cool. So we got Isaac on this show. Uh, Isaac, I, I hear you know something about Node. Um, yeah, so I've been uh, been working on Node pretty much since there's been Node. Not quite as long as uh, a couple of other people, but I think as far as people who are actually involved in the project, still, uh, I'm one of the oldest. Why don't you give us an introduction to, to uh, who you are and maybe who Joint is and, you know, what Node is? Sure. So um, I actually was kind of involved with uh, doing some stuff with server-side JS. I was a PHP developer prior to that and got more and more annoyed that I had to write uh, one language on the client and another on the server. And um, even more annoyed that the server language was not JavaScript. Um, so I got started kind of messing around with, uh, you know, SpiderMonkey and, and WebCore and um, JS Core and kind of like trying to figure out how to do something on the server. And then, um, uh, but I, I didn't actually know what I was doing. And uh, around that time then, um, Google open-sourced V8. And so I started playing with that. And, you know, lo and behold, this like new thing showed up on the scene called Node. Uh, so I, you know, the website looked really nice and it seemed like it had a really nice API. So I, I, you know, downloaded the source code and tried to build it, checked it out from Git or whatever, and it didn't compile. So I was like, okay, well, this is obviously not real and never going to go anywhere. Um, (laughs) and so I, I kept, I kept playing around. I got, got kind of into, uh, Narwhal and the common JS stuff. And then somebody at a, I gave a talk at a, a meetup at Yahoo about, um, about using JavaScript on the server and, and, you know, some of these ideas of, of common JS and the module pattern and this kind of stuff. And, um, somebody in the audience asked me if I'd ever heard of node and, you know, kind of nudged me to go take a look at it again. 
Um, I don't remember who that person was, but uh, I, I'm I'm sure it's uh, it'd be it'd be nice to know who that who that actually was. I wonder if they're still involved with Node. But um, so if they're listening to this yeah, podcast if you're listening. now, <laughs> get it at IZS on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was um, I think it was also one of the first projects. He, he pointed me at something that was one of the first projects that ever used a .io domain. I, I don't think it was Socket.io. I think it was some other like IO thing. Uh, and it, it was built on Node. And so I, I took a look at it and I downloaded it. That was version like 0.0.6. And so that was the first one I tried that actually compiled on my Mac. And, you know, I, I immediately basically stopped what I was doing and said like, okay, this is, this is the right way to do it. Um, this is the one that I'm going to actually focus on and, and play with. And so, um, yeah, I was kind of hooked. And I mean, there was this, this dude in Germany had written it, this like Ryan Dahl guy. And then uh, a couple months later, this uh, video came out from him giving a talk at NodeConf EU. I knew he was going to be at NodeConf EU. I knew that he was, uh, you know, I, I knew him from the IRC channel and stuff. And we'd been sort of chatting and, and whatnot. And then when he, when I saw his talk, the video, I was like, oh, wow, like, He's he's not German. He's he's American. Um, so that was kind of like the big uh, a big shock for me early on. Um, everybody else was shocked by that video because that was when most people I think found out about Node. That's kind of the uh, the the big coming out of Node as a project and being presented to the world. So uh, yeah, you know, I was really active in the the mailing list and stuff, and um, just it was very very small community, very tightly knit, and. Um, I got kind of sick of uh, working at, at Yahoo and, and just being at a big company, got kind of fed up with it. So I quit my job and spent two months just messing around with, I was like, I'm just going to like take a few months off and see what happens. And what I found was it was really frustrating on the mailing list because people would post these things where they like, they would post this announcement that they wrote some new project in Node, some like new reusable module in Node. And Oh God, it was always such a pain. It's always like, okay, so here's what you do. You download this thing and you run make, and then you copy this file into your, into this folder. And you also have to copy this other file because it depends on this thing. And it has to be this certain version. And it's always a get sub module. So you have to do get sub module <laughs> update. And I was like, Oh God, this is just, this is a nightmare. Um, and in the four years that I'd worked at Yahoo, you know, there's this really cool tool called Wyance. So you just type Wyance install, whatever it fetches all the down, all the, uh, the dependencies, um, and it has like, it's a really nice sort of platform to actually build your, your programs as well as distribute and install them. And it's very low bandwidth, low, um, barrier to entry. Um, so I kind of took some of those ideas and, and set about writing a package manager for node. There was a couple of other options at the time. Um, TJ Holloway, Chuck actually wrote one called Kiwi. Uh, which was written in Bash and had a very, very pretty interface. Um, you know, it's a sort of like stereotype of, of TJ Holloway Chuck stuff. It's always like, you know, extremely, extremely polished and, and pretty. The thing that bugged me about, about it, um, and there, there was a couple others too. There was a few that were based on Git. There was two actually that I remember that were based on Git um, and used that as the transport mechanism uh, and a, a couple of others. And, the thing that, that kind of bugged me about all of them was that the, um, the path to publishing something was much, much too difficult and usually relied on uh, either you telling everybody the, the, you know, the Git repo that they need to go and install or you have to um, 
you know, you had to have somebody merge in a, a patch to add your thing to the, to the registry of published modules. And I thought, this is just, this is too hard. So I set about basically take, I took a couple months and basically wrote what ended up being NPM. Um, and the, the premise of it was to basically not require any, um, any unnecessary ceremony from writing your project to actually having somebody install it. And because I had no job at the time and nothing really to do, I went around and sent pull requests to every node project to add a package.json to them. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> That's a good way I, to do it. Yeah, yeah I, I think I wrote... Option. Exactly. Um, and I, I think the main reason why NPM ended up being the package manager everyone uses is that I didn't have a job then and everybody else did. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it just had somebody kind of through force of will sort of pushing on it to, to get the community to use it. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very easy, as you know, like if you've ever gotten a pull request to add like a, um, a Travis CI or something like it's very easy to just say like, here's one file, you know, it's not going to be in your way. It's like one file you got to put in there. It's short, it's easy to read, you know, just accept this pull request and I, and the world will be better. <laughs> um, and, and people very, for the most part, we're very accepting of that because there wasn't a lot of things doing that. I mean, nowadays, now that you have package.json and component.json and some YML thing, a Travis YML and like some other thing, it it's start you know it's starting to along with like your license, your readme, your gitignore, yeah. yeah. So now people are a little bit more uh, resistant to this sort of thing, but at the time it was it was a very easy sell. So you know, let they, me interject here real quick. The, yeah, we'll talk more about you know all the stuff npm and all that, but it's it's kind of striking the similarity that node and, and with npm has had like with you know my experience in, in the ruby community with ruby gems coming up and uh how much of npm would you say was influenced by you know ruby gems and just that whole environment uh roughly zero hmm. and that's not to say i mean that's not to say that they're not similar because like the similarities have been pointed out to me a lot of times but i yeah. I have almost no experience with Ruby. I've, you know, I've edited a few Ruby programs just because they're kind of out there and you can't, it's kind of inescapable, right? It's just a very popular platform. But uh, no, I, I think it was mostly influenced by wanting to not be pair right? and wanting to kind of emulate what worked, what I saw work for Yanst. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. It, it, I've heard, I actually listened to um, I want to say it was the the Node podcast that you did with two other guys, and I was listening to the first episode. I think you know this was months ago, and I remember you guys were just kind of talking about how you know Node is it's obviously very young, and it's kind of following in similar tracks as other you know modern technologies have gone, and it's it's always been kind of shocking to me that you know, it's not exactly the same, and the pitfalls you know don't look exactly the same, but but you kind of have to go through the same growth. Uh, problems as you know just package management in general is a common growth problem that these young frameworks have to go through and i don't know it's kind of striking that they all go through the same ones yeah yeah absolutely and i mean the big question is like can you evolve past those problems or not yeah i think as far as like you know if you look at i I hate to pick on pair but at the same time i I obviously don't (laughs) hate it that much because i do it a lot right um, but pair is basically, I think, the object example of what happens when you try to have too much ceremony in a in a package ecosystem. Um, that that module ecosystem is effectively dead. Now, thankfully for the PHP community, like the PHP community as a whole, wasn't really too dependent on it. 
and you have stuff like Packagist and Composer coming up from with more of like a uh, Ruby Gems MTM kind of model. So it's it's very low um, low barrier to entry and uh, right. a small amount of ceremony to get started. Right. So you talked a little bit about just you know how you came about with npm so how did the uh i i, I kind of stopped you so if you want to keep going about just kind of how that that brought you into the the node.js community as a whole and then where joint came about and all that sure so um so i'd been uh jobless for a while and uh got this job working for this company doing this stuff that wasn't really related to node and kind of disappeared off the map a little bit off of that group and you know, it was frustrated. I wanted to get more into Node and, and do something that's more Node-specific. And, and I was thinking about starting this, uh, some kind of little startup or whatever with a couple of guys. And, and I mentioned this to Ryan. And he said, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Come work <laughs> at Joint. You'll have, you'll have health benefits and like a salary today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and, and that was basically my job interview, and uh, then I came here and started working on on Node and NPM um, at Joint. You kind of have the dream job, though. I mean, because I mean, how many people are listening to this show right now hacking on open source that would love to hack on open source and get paid to do it? Yeah, well, that's I mean, that's a fascinating subject, actually. I think I think a lot of people get a lot of people really really like working on open source. I think there's a lot of um, intrinsic motivation that really drives us to write software and write really good software and focus a lot of uh, care and time and attention and feel very rewarded by this. However, like the financial incentives often just aren't there. And so, yeah, I, I do have a dream job and it would be really nice if there was, you know, ways for other people to be more, to do this as their job. You know, it's, mm. um, it's definitely a passion of mine and something I hope to maybe one day figure out some way out of, but, um, so you know, some- just to paint this picture a little bit for the listeners. So you quit your job to work on open source, then got a job to work on open source. Yes. Which is good. Cause I, I mean, <laughs> which is good. Cause I, I couldn't do that forever. Um, you know, I, I, at some point I was going to have to do something to, to make money and, right. uh, sending people pull requests to add package.json files to their projects. Wasn't really paying the bills. Well, in a sense, it was, though, because w- would you say that the success of NPM is kind of – well, I guess a better way to put it is when you came on to join it full-time to work on Node full-time, was it, was NPM mature at that point to where it was the primary adoption for package management in Node? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, had, that, was, that was well established at that point. Yeah, so if you think about it, like all those long you know, nights of submitting package.json uh, pull requests probably was paying the bills in a sense. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's. I think it is a Post-data good case. checks. Yeah, it is a good example of you know if you if you do something that you're really passionate about. It, I, I think it's a misnomer to say that if you know it, it's it's not exactly true to say that if you do what you're passionate about, the money will come. Right. But if you do almost anything really diligently, then the money will come, and yeah. it takes passion to have that kind of diligence. Yeah. You know. So if if. Um, and a lot of things, like if you do almost anything really diligently, you'll figure out what parts of it you like and what parts of it you don't. And that'll help inform your choices when it comes to, you know, choosing a job or, or doing another thing. Right. So why don't you kind of give us a, uh, an overview of just, you know, what Node is? I don't, we haven't really talked about that yet. So. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So Node is uh, a platform for writing 
asynchronous IO based servers in JavaScript. Um, it's a, I think the, the tagline is evented IO for V8 JavaScript, which basically means, um, so V8 JavaScript is pretty straightforward. It uses the V8, um, JavaScript virtual machine as mm-hmm. it's, it's way of, you know, running your program. But the, uh, the nice thing about JavaScript is it doesn't actually have a built-in I.O. mechanism as part of the language. So whereas in Ruby or Python, you have this you know, standard library which has you know, predefined mechanisms for reading files and stuff, in Node um, or in any JavaScript program, right, there's, there's a lot of stuff for doing like you know, loops and functions and what have you, but there's no, um, there's no way to write a file in JavaScript. Right. So Node also links to a program called a library called libuv which is um it it's a an abstraction for doing um asynchronous io or non-blocking io in um across different operating systems so for example in um i always get wrong like which ones have which <laughs> but there's so there's uh, in the Unix land there's stuff like KQ and, and ePoll and so forth. In um, in Windows there is uh, CP um, IOCP IO completion ports, and so libuv is like a bridge across these two uh, or three or actually four like very different worlds um, of of ways of doing IO in a in a non blocking way. So what non-block? Let's explain what non-blocking means. Um, in uh, in a you know like any any old random program like a you know C program or shell script or what have you, you open a file and you call you know var you know int fd equals f open and you give it a path name right right. Um, and that that open call that open method will return the the file descriptor. Then you pass that file descriptor to a read operation, and that read operation returns, you know, the um, well. In C, it returns a number of bytes read. But let's say, it, if it, in like a higher level language, it would just return you a string or a buffer of some sort, mm-hmm. indicating representing the the memory that it read. Well, the problem with that is that if you have a um, if you have a server like an HTTP server, its job is to be serving requests, right? Now, most of the time when you're doing a read operation, you're just kind of sitting there waiting for the hard drive controller to respond. Um, or if you, you know, if you make an HTTP request, right, you, you send the request out and then you like sit there and wait for the, um, for the response, for the packets to get sent over the network and then for the response to get sent back. And there might actually be multiple packets you have to receive before you can parse out the full HTTP response. So if your program is sitting there doing nothing, All right. You're not serving new requests, and right. you're you're not actually you're just kind of blocking on CPU. You're not actually doing anything. So Node's approach to this is a little bit different. You, um, in the case of where you you know make an HTTP request, what you do is you get back a request object from from that HTTP request, and every time there's new data available, you know then when the response comes back, you pass it a function. That function gets the response object. Now, every time the response object gets another chunk of data, it emits a data event. And so you attach functions to these things in order to handle this stuff at some future time. Right. In, the simple, in the simplest case, if you do like you know, file, you pass it the name of the file and a callback to get, um, which will get an error or the data. 
at some future time. And so then this is like the callback callback hell that you've heard people talk about where you have, you know, one thing that calls another thing that calls another thing that calls another thing and your code keeps indenting because you keep defining new inline right. functions. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of a novice, novice uh, problem, but um, it, it does make, it does need, require you to kind of invert your thinking about how you do IO. Right. Um, the, the blessing and or curse of Node is that you, you can't just ignore things that take a long time to do. So let me ask you, the early on in Node, I kind of got, well, no, not early on, but early on for me in Node, I was on the, uh, I don't know, the mailing list, and, and I, I would start to see these arguments, and, and you just like, I hear buzzwords, and I start to see these arguments about callbacks come up, and I can't remember, I think it was like pipes and streams and callbacks and all that. <laughs> uh, so you obviously know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so elaborate on that a little bit. When, when you talk about callbacks, is that, I, I guess just elaborate on what, what's the, I don't know, the, the you know, the um, standard way, the right way, the, uh, you know, how do you handle this stuff? So, <laughs> this is a trap. Um, <laughs> there's, I, we'll, we can edit it out later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I've, it's, it's a trap I'm familiar with. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's two answers to this. Um, there's, there's Isaac, the person, the programmer, and what do I prefer? And then there's like, what is the official stance of the node project? Right. And they're not exactly the same. So, um, basically a callback is just a function. Um, it's a function that you pass to some other method that will be called with the results of that operation. In, um, you know, in, in scheme, this would be called a continuation and, Mm -hmm. Actually, in Scheme, the semantics are completely different. So calling call, if you call callbacks continuations, then certain people get yeah, really upset. Yeah. yeah, they get beards on their necks. Parentheses all over the place. And, uh, <laughs> oh, goodness, I'm getting an email. So um, anyway, a callback is just like a thing to say, okay, here I want you to go read this file. And once you're done reading that file, put the data in here and then go do this other stuff. In the meantime, I'm going to go do these three other things. Um, so you get, the, you get into the situation where like, okay, I don't actually just want to read a file usually. I want to read a file, then I want to upload it somewhere, and then depending on the status result of the upload, whether it gave me a you know, 2.0 whatever or a 4.09, I want to go do this other thing and read this third file and parse it and then send the results over here, right? So if you're doing this all with a callback-based system, it, there's a tendency to – well, you, in general, there's a tendency to put too much code in one place, right? That's kind of a universal thing, like – Factoring out programs is hard. Right. So in Node, this hard, this difficulty is readily apparent because you end up six levels indented, and suddenly your your code is like all the way off the right hand corner of your right hand side of your screen. So there's a couple of ways to deal with this. The way that Isaac, the person, uh, you know, my my personal preference is just factor your damn program, like <laughs> break it up into chunks create named functions that have like meaningful names and do one like really well-defined thing and make those functions take a callback and just use it and just pass that callback around. It's not actually all that hard. Um, the, the, some alternative uh, ways of looking at that are that you can use things like coroutines where what you actually do is you tell the you tell the interpreter, okay, I want you to pause my my program's execution at this point, 
because I'm going to go and I'm going to wait for this thing to happen. But in the meantime, you can go run other stuff. Just don't keep running the rest of this one function. And then when it comes back with the results, right, so you, you flip it so that it looks like the imperative style of programming. So you do var data equals fs.read file. Um, that's actually kind of, so there's, there's an implementation of this that is a little bit uh, kludgy and dangerous, um, in, uh, uh, which uses long jump in, in the, uh, as a compiled add-on. There is also some ways to implement this using um, yield and generators in uh, in later versions of V8, newer versions of V8. Um, you do have to pass a flag into the binary because they're not enabled by default yet. It's a new experimental feature in ECMAScript uh, six, but you know it's it's there. It's one way you can structure your code, and it's not really a Node thing. It's just a JavaScript thing. The other a third option for this is to use something called promises. And so the promise, promises don't require any additions to the language. What they do is you say, instead of, instead of receiving a callback, this function will instead return you a promise object. That promise object then gives you an API to say, once this, prom- once this ob- promise resolves, do this other thing. But you can write your, your programs in a more you know, top-to-bottom kind of manner rather than a left-to-right kind of manner. Right. The, the promises is kind of it just in all of JavaScript, not Node. That's kind of a, a growing trend that you see with a lot of different environments, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that there are um, – it's unlikely that anytime soon Node will make promises a default thing Right. in core. Uh, a lot of people use it in their apps, and that's perfectly fine. It's basically just another flow control um, mechanism. So then that brings you to the fourth possible way to manage this, which is something like the, uh, the async module. And basically what that gives you is just some helper methods to thread callbacks together. So you can say, here's like, here's 10 functions. I want you to run them, uh, one after the other, and each one receives a callback. And so that's kind of the de facto way to go about, uh, managing callback taking functions and putting them in par- running multiples in parallel, Excuse me, in parallel or synchronous, or you know, one after the other, or so and so forth. Again, adds nothing to the language. It's just a, it's somewhat lighter weight than promises because it doesn't require any kind of like paradigm shift with how you think about your program. Right. So, so streams are something that that people talk about too. What what is what are streams in Node and, and how are they handled? Streams are. Um, streams represent a flow of data. So you have a, a thing like a, um, let's say, uh, a, a network connection, like a TCP connection, right? TCP socket. Every time the other guy on the other side of that socket, every time they write some data into their end, some data is going to pop out on my end. So I need some weight, some abstraction to say, look, every time there's data available, give me a, an indication of that. And you know, have some mechanism for pulling that data out of that stream every time it, it shows up. Then um, on the writable side, a stream represents a place where you're sending a flow of data, and then you call an end method when you're done with it. So what this gives you then is another abstraction on top of those two things where you can take a readable stream and just plug it directly into a writable stream with a pipe method. So you can do myreadable.pipe and then parens, my writable, uh, mm-hmm. and all the data that comes out will just immediately be sent into this writable stream. Right. 
So that's particularly handy if you want to send like this the contents of a file to an HTTP response or vice versa or you know do things like that. Some of this stuff might be a little uh, I don't know complicated for like a newcomer. So let's especially, say a new- especially hearing it on podcast rather than like reading on a. Yeah, totally. So go go. Uh, there's plenty of there's an archive of uh, a lot of debate on that subject. If you have interest in it, on the uh, node mailing list, so you can go there for more information. Um, there's also but, pretty extensive docs on this now in the uh, in the node API docs. Uh, if you look up the the streams API doc for the latest um, stable release, there is a uh, pretty good discussion of like what streams are and how to use them broken into three different sections. So this was this was pretty recent. Um, prior to this, it was all kind of a mishmash, and I think there was just a lot of confusion and, and FUD around it. So it, we've broken it into three different sections. So there's um, you know streams for, a, for users, like you're consuming a stream, here's how to do it. Then there's streams for people implementing streaming APIs. For instance, if you are you know, creating a new module that's going to like send data somewhere or do some transform on it or what have you. And then there is a third section, which is like how it actually works and the history of it and how it used to work and how it's changed and so on. So most people really only need the first, you know, third right. of that document. And you can find that at nodejs.org slash API. Is that right? Yep. Slash stream.html. Yep. <laughs> so for, so I, I kind of talked about it, but for a newcomer, um, I, well, I guess let me preface this by, by saying, is, are your target, is your target audience or are your target developers seasoned or, you know, entry-level developers or people that are in other environments and frustrated with it? Or, you know, who, who does Node target to kind of for, for, for new developers? Yes, yes, all the developers. We target all the developers. If you're a developer, we are targeting you. We want you developing with Node. Um, maybe not as your only platform, but as certainly as one of them. I mean, it's it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to develop in. Um, JavaScript is not a very bad language, and I think that Node hits a pretty good, um, you know, a useful a useful kind of niche between really low level systems programming and super high level like you know Railsy type stuff. Um, the the paradigms are very C ish and very Unixy, right. and um, you know, I, obviously here. So here at Joint, I mean, most of the engineering staff at Joint are like super low-level, like kernel hackers and OS people, um, and people who have been doing systems engineering for you know for years and years. And Node has really caught on in this crowd. I think in large part because it's very, um, you know, it's very. It follows a lot of very standard Unix paradigms. Yeah, people, you know. There's a reason why I think is Node still the most popular repository on GitHub? I believe it is, right? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, it's the most popular repository in my list of tabs that I have open on Chrome. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's it, it's much. up there, and I remember there was like a day where it kind of passed uh, Ruby or sorry Rails, and that was kind of like a big day for Node. Um, you know, I don't you know, maybe not specifically for like the Node core team, but just the community in general. Um, so, but that kind of gets back to my question. So, for a newcomer, you know, let's say somebody that's like new to, well, let's say somebody that's new to just Node. Like they're they're a developer. They know, you know, maybe they've worked with Java or Ruby or something else, and they want to try out Node. You know, with Ruby, there's tryruby.org. There's like all the code schools and uh, Treehouse and all those. They have a lot of you know tutorials and lessons and how to learn. You know, Ruby. There's 
for Python and things like that. What is there for Node, you know, for a newcomer to, to kind of get started and, and kind of play around with it? Um, for a newcomer to kind of get started with Node, I think, I mean, I don't know. I guess the, I guess just kind of download it and install it and start messing around with some of the examples and, and docs and stuff. Like, we don't have as nice an onboarding system as I would like, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I mean, there's nothing like uh, like Pythonista, for instance, with right. Python, where you can like, where you literally like download an iPad app and install it, and you're like making games in you know 20 minutes. Like, wow, I'm super jealous. But <laughs> uh, you know, there's nothing quite like that for Node. But I think the actual platform itself is seems to be approachable enough um, yeah. because we keep getting more people using it. I will say that uh, if you don't mind me stepping here for a second on the on the getting started part. I had a hard time finding because uh, I actually wanted to hack on. Uh, I wanted to mess with Bauer a couple, like I guess, four or five months ago, and to get Bauer on to my system, I had to use npm, which required me to kind of get started with Node, for lack of better terms. You know, I needed to have this installer to do that, and I, I found it very hard to find out how to get it on my system in an easy way. And I ended up finding uh, a tutorial from Robert Bennett on uh, installing Node with ha- with Homebrew on on the Mac. So that worked okay, but it was still like, had to search. Include you, yeah. 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 So on Node.js.org, we actually have a big green install button now. Yeah. Which will um, detect whether you're on Mac or Windows or some other OS. If you're on some other OS, it doesn't show a big green install button. It just kind of has you download the source code because whatever, you're on Linux. You got to figure you're, it out. You're smart enough yeah. if you're not on those. <laughs> Exactly. You're you're used to being abused. Yeah. Um, but for uh for Windows and and OS X we have pretty straightforward downloaders now that'll kind of put things in the right place. So I should undo what I've done and use that? I mean if what you've done is working for you, that's fine. I think uh I think homebrew is is you know, it seems like people are succeeding that way and, and a lot of people seem to get it relatively in a in a relatively good state on their machine. I mean I don't know. I'm I'm probably not the best person to ask about like, getting started guys with Node because honestly, like I read those things and I just can't see the forest for the trees a lot of the time. Um, yeah. And for me, I mean, the you know the getting started is like you will just clone the GitHub and make install. Like, you know, yeah. it's hard about that. Jeez. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But so, I, I mean, we're seeing really interesting things. But actually, I mean, Bower stuff like uh, like uh, not just Bower, but what's the other one? Um, Grunt actually is is driving mm-hmm. a lot of node adoption. I've found because people need to use Grunt in order to use some, you know, contribute to some open source um, uh, front end project, and then they end up discovering npm and 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 Node in the process and kind of find oh like oh I can I can write like command line scripts in JavaScript and I know JavaScript like hey isn't this great you know this person who might not have ever considered that they could do server side programming. Yeah. So for somebody that that does kind of want to get started with Node, what kind of like let's say they're they're, you know, sitting down, they have applications to build and you know or they have a specific application they want to build and they're they're making the decision between let's say they they're comfortable with getting started with Node or, you know, any other environment. What kind of applications would you say, you know, thrive in Node or or where would you where would you say Node flourishes over, you know, Ruby, Python, PHP, you know, et cetera? I think um Node really seems to do best as a uh, 
like middleware API tier, um, particularly if you have to talk to multiple different um, backend sources and provide, you know, a, a web and or you know TCP or, or some other kind of front end for those API sources. Um, another place where Node does really well actually is in uh, writing command line tools because of the portability to um, to Windows and and Unix. So I, I, th- I mean I think that's a big part of the reason why Grunt is so successful because Windows developers can actually use it pretty easily. Uh, for writing, I mean, you know, if you're going to write a relatively low, uh, you know, if you don't have really high uh, scaling concerns and you need to write a CRUD app, like, you know what, Rails is probably really good at that. Like, especially if you're already familiar with Rails, especially if you're already good with Ruby and, and happy using it, then, like, by all means, like, it's it's got a lot of really nice uh, tools to, to make that successful. Um, for, but if you're doing stuff that has a lot of requirements for doing a lot of streaming type of data, um, you know, if you're very comfortable with JavaScript, if you're comfortable writing things in JavaScript, then I think, you know, then, then Node really starts to make a lot of sense. Gotcha. So if you're doing, you know, event-driven non-blocking IO, in other words. Right. In V8 <laughs> JavaScript. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's also actually, so at Joint. Um, Joyant's a huge user of, I'll, I'll talk about a few of the really big users of Node. Um, Joyant itself, they, they use Node as um, basically the, the orchestration tier of their entire data center system. So, you know, everything between um, when you sign up for, for, a, uh, for a host on Joyant all the way through, you know, all the way down to like the actual operating system. Um, is, is running entirely on Node. Now, obviously, the operating system as a whole is not entirely running on Node. Like, that's got a lot of stuff that's written in C. There's, you know, ZFS and zones and dtrace and so forth. But, like, you know, all of those little kind of orchestration demons and things that all need to talk to each other, um, you know, this is, this is all a, a big collection of Node programs. And, and the nice thing about it is it's like, you can be writing a little demon and be like, ah, oh, God, I really wish I had some like easy way to see what this thing is doing. Like, oh, I know, I'll just have it spin up an HTTP server because that's easy, hmm. right? Like, um, and so it, it opens a lot of doors and kind of having all of these different things all in one place makes you kind of think about things in a little bit different way. Um, another example is uh, Voxer is using it, has been using it for a long time actually to run their, um, uh, their routing and their whole system so that you can... So they're basically sending uh, JSON payloads with binary chunks of, of sound data, of audio data, and a little bit of metadata to know who to send it to. And that's, I mean, that's the, the core of their system. So they've got all of these different um, proxies and, and, and demons and stuff taking this data in and stuffing it in a database and sending it to some other thing that, like, broadcasts it out to these other servers. And, you know, it's all this, this big telephony network. Um, <laughs> And they've they've written this thing entirely in Node. Yeah. Then, so I, so little side note. I wonder how exactly how many callbacks it takes for my softball team to tell me which field we're playing on in Boxer. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. It's probably a shocking shocking number. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and it it is pretty good for writing websites. I I kind of like it um, because I like having a lot of very explicit control over that kind of stuff. And I like it just because I'm obviously extremely familiar with Node. So, you know, the first 
the hammer that I grab when everything looks like a nail is is Node. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's other things for building websites. It's it's something that we humans have gotten pretty good at doing, but um, you know, I, I like Node for it. Cool. So I want to roll back a little bit. Um, the the original the creator of Node, Ryan Dahl, who is he? I think he's still at Joint. Is that correct? That is not correct. Okay. Uh, he is not at Joint or anywhere on the internet. <laughs> He's he's basically retired from public life, and oh, uh, we got a uh, another uh, why? why or uh, <laughs> yeah. He he seems to be doing well. Uh, four ten gone. No, I I don't know if it's a four ten. I think it's just um, you know temporarily unavailable. It's a, it's a right. five three. Um, <laughs> the uh, the way he put it to me, he doesn't like creating permanent things on the internet anymore. So he you know, removed his GitHub and his, uh, Twitter. And I don't know if he removed his GitHub, but he definitely removed his Twitter and, and blog and Facebook and everything. Gotcha. Um, it's, it was why ish, but not completely. Yeah. So, well. uh, basically, I, I mean, you know, I, he got kind of tired of working on node day in and day out for three years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as, as one would, I'm sure if you, you know, got into this by hacking on new things and always wanting to try out the latest new thing, and suddenly tripped and fell and ended up a success. And uh, next thing he knew, he was doing the same job for three years and went a little stir crazy. Yeah. So how long? So okay. So up to speed. The transition from Ryan Dahl to yourself as kind of the the maintainer of the project. What what did that go like? So um, yeah. So he, he was kind of uh, he was kind of feeling burnt out and. Over a couple of months, um, I took over making the builds every you know couple of weeks when we would release a new version, and um, gradually more and more took over more you know over about a, a six month or so period took over more and more of the duties of of running the project and kind of um, keeping things going and then and he had talked about the other core committers about this about me taking over his role in the project. Um, and then, uh, he posted a, 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 a message on the mailing list saying he's, you know, taking off to work on research projects and that I am the new, uh, forget how he phrased it, lead gatekeeper, um, of node and that all feature requests need to, you know, if you want any new features or have any bugs to complain to me about them hmm. and that I'll be the one saying no to people from now on. So how's this transition been then, I guess, taking over that space, considering his departure? Maybe it's just from being stir-crazy on the project three years. Has it been a – have you been happy, I guess, is the way to ask that question. <laughs> I have been very happy. Um, you know, I, it's, it's extremely rewarding, and it's, it's extremely challenging. And um, running, a, running a project and, and a community, I think, is um, – it's – I feel very, very lucky to be able to have found myself in a position where this is my job and this is what I'm doing. Um, it's a ton of work and it's can certainly be exhausting, but, um, you know, I, I care a lot about the success of this project and, and the people who are, uh, who are pouring time and energy into it. And, um, I, I think it's also really, uh, you know, it's, it's a good group of people. Like it's a good, um, it's a friendly community. And I think we've done a pretty good job of trying to kind of keep some sense of positivity, um, and not kind of devolve into 
too much of like, you know, turf wars or, you know, bad exclusionary, you know, sexist, heteronormative, ableist, you know, (laughs) behavior or whatever, um, which is, which kind of happens a lot of times in communities. I mean, you know, it doesn't take too many people to make a community a lot less welcoming to newcomers. Right. How much of your time now would you say is actually writing, you know, contributing to the node project itself and versus community engagement and, and, you know, kind of the maintainer role? I think, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's probably about 50, 50. Uh, I, I'm certainly a lot better at writing code than I am at being a community maintainer. And I, I sort of always feel like I'm, I'm feeling my way out on that one. Um, basically one or two days a week is just completely burned up by meetings. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's actually what, you know, what today is. That's why I opted to schedule this call on a, on a Tuesday was because of, uh, <laughs> cause this day is gone anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's ironic though. I think, um, you know, as a programmer and, and as a, as a person engaging with community or, and with people like, the more the more of your time and the more of yourself that you kind of like keep heaping like just throwing at this project or throwing at a at a particular um, bit of work the less sometimes the less creative and the less insightful you can be so i I do try to carve out a, a large amount of my time for um, you know doing yoga and biking and just kind of like watching cartoons and doing like completely other random things um, mm-hmm. you know. Because that's sort of like that's sort of like what keeps you sane, you know. It, it yeah. keeps you much more grounded. And I find that I actually am much more productive writing code when I write less of it, um, which is, yeah, like I said, I mean, it's completely counterintuitive. But it's funny because I, you know, a few years ago I kind of felt the same way, and I started running every day. So you know, whereas you would do yoga and biking, I run every day. And um, I heard, I think it was a guy at the. I can't remember now what it was called, but it was a Ruby conference in Grapevine, Texas. And he was talking about like the importance of, you know, staying fit and, you know, just being active and and for your happiness. And this last week we were traveling and, you know, we were, I was doing some flying and driving and I, and I realized I hadn't run for like a week and I just felt like I was going crazy. Like I just felt like, you know, sitting at a desk and having this, you know, working on a computer all day, every day and not really getting the energy out anywhere kind of, kind of took me back to where I felt like I'd gotten, you know, before I started doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, uh, how long have you been the maintainer of the project? When did that happen? So when did that happen? Um, was it at the start of 2012, I think if I'm remembering correctly. So it's been about a year and a half now. Okay. So burnout is the thing that we like to kind of talk about. And if we could, you know, package up how to solve burnout and sell it to everyone, we'd be bajillionaires. But uh, <laughs> it, it took Ryan about three years to, to burn out. And, and would you well, say I, that? I think, I think it took him, I think arguably it took him two and a half years to burn out. It took him about six months to recognize it. To, to actually accept it. Yeah. What, uh, what are you doing to, to kind of prevent that from happening? Obviously you said, you know, the, the yoga and, and uh, cycling, but w- what else would you say is a, you know, you're, you're kind of doing to, to help prevent, you know, that burnout from coming upon yourself? I think, um, you know, I think also a big part of it is to, to try and like work on things that aren't your main job, but are maybe more of, you know, but are still in line with your craft. So, 
you know, Node Core is not the only thing I'm writing code for, um, right. and NPM is not the only thing I'm writing code for. And I think, you know, just other than that, like just being more than a programmer, I think is a is a really important thing. You know, we we start to it's very easy and typical for us to kind of identify ourselves with our job or with whatever it is we do to make money and kind of forget that we're also supposed to be whole people, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, obviously, you know, if you spend a lot of your time on your craft or your job, like a lot of your friends are going to be friends you've met through work or through, you know, open source projects or what have you. And certainly most of my best friends are, are all node people at this point in my life. But, um, you know, I, I try to, I try to have a little bit of a sense of a, a community outside of work or outside of just, you know, node. Um, and I think that, you know, doing yoga regularly has made a, a huge impact on my life and my health, but also just, you know, hacking on things occasionally that are not, you know, as obviously, uh, node ish, like even though, even if they, it is a node program, it's like, if I, I have a lot of like random little node modules that I've written that people like and they use. And it's, it's kind of nice every once in a while to spend a day just kind of like fixing bugs in those or like, you know, accepting pull requests or whatever, just because like, like that's, that's what I'm actually passionate about. That's how I got into this. And so it's important to not forget, you know, not get too caught up in where you're at now that you forget why it was you started out wanting to do this in the first place. You might've said it, I guess in there in a, in a winded way, but, um, if you were talking to people, which might quite, quite possibly be the, the, the thing happening here, but if you're talking to a bunch of people that were maintaining, I guess, semi or you know, highly adopted uh, open source projects, what advice would you give them, I guess, to not um, over, over, I guess, commit themselves and get themselves into a position where they do burn out? Um, so a good first step is to trick a company into paying you to do it there you go (laughs) (laughs) because no and i mean i'm i'm really really serious like if i if i had a job doing something other than node and i was also doing all this stuff like oh my goodness forget about it like i would have no life um you know if if you can't if you can't kind of make it your job then you can't expect to keep devoting a, a fair amount of your waking hours on it and and continue to feel rewarded by that um and I, I see this happen a lot, you know, where people have a job with some random company and they also have some open source thing and their company says, well, we'll let you work on this like in your free time uh, or, you know, we'll give you like, you know, 20% time, which is really 120% time. Right. And, um, you know, and that's just really not sustainable. So if you have a, at some point, you know, with the success of an open source, with an open source project that's successful, you have to either except that it's never going to be much more than a hobby and that that's going to, you know, necessarily limit how far the project can go or, and that ends in some, in the cases of some projects, like that's perfectly fine. I have some projects that are just purely like hobbies and labors of love. And I, I don't get as much time to work on them as I'd like, but that's just how the cookie crumbles. Uh, or find some way to make that thing be your job so that, you know, you can actually have time and energy to, uh, to devote to it and not have to be stealing it from somewhere else. Are you a fan of potentially, I guess in some cases we've had people on the show, Andrew, where they've turned their project into some sort of commercial way of, of making money. I guess if you can't trick a company like no, or a joint into <laughs> paying you full time to do your, your thing like you're doing, 
you know, have you, would you have considered, I guess, maybe, I guess you didn't create Node, but I guess, would you advise to find a way to monetize it in, in some sort of way that, that makes sense for the community? Yes. I mean, if, if you can do that in such a way that it actually doesn't destroy the goodwill that you've created. Um, and this is, I mean, this is another huge pitfall, right? If you, a lot of, a lot of paths to monetization and, um, you know, just to pick one example of, of, um, of my sequel, uh, if you try to go kind of the, the dual licensing route where you have this, you know, crippled for commercial use license, a GPL license, and then you have a, um, you know, proprietary, but not crippled for corporate use license. Uh, that's one way that you can monetize because anybody in the community can use the GPL one, but if you need to use it for, you know, closed source stuff or, you know, proprietary stuff, you have to purchase this other license. Uh, in the long run, I think that that obviously doesn't really work as well because what, what can very easily end up happening is you get purchased by a company like Oracle that says, you know what, actually we don't want to do this GPL stupid thing anymore. So we're just going to do the proprietary one. And now your users are over a barrel, you know, another way to go about this is with like, you know, heavy handed marketing type stuff. And, and, um, nobody really likes, nobody likes being sold something they don't want. Right. So, um, if, if there's some way to go about monetizing your, your project, perhaps by, uh, by providing some additional service or, you know, whatever, like, you know, services or products around it, um, that can often be very, very successful. I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, kind of running short on time, but uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of get to is Node has some pretty cool branding, and I just wanted to ask, who who controls the brand of Node? Oh, so uh, um, when he... I don't know exactly when it was, but at some point Ryan sold the trademark to the uh, the node mark and, and name to Joint, and so Joint actually owns the IP of Node. Um, they own the copyright on the code and the the trademark and uh, word mark of Node.js. So the uh, the logo and stuff that was all commissioned by uh, by Joint. Gotcha. And basically all the all the branding and everything there that's uh, that's Joyant's thing. There was a uh, there was a logo before this one that was contributed by the community with the little cloud and the like bubbly letters, but um, it didn't work out so well for Joyant because there had it had I guess rather dubious um, intellectual property ownership. We weren't sure like who actually owned it or like, you know, what the rights were or under what conditions it was given to the node project. And it was Ryan at the time and not Joyant. So it was tricky to kind of work that all out. And so they just kind of went back to the drawing board, create a brand new logo, which was like hated at the time. Let me tell you, like people, people could not, I I am not joking. People threatened to like fork the project and rename it just so that they wouldn't have to look at that logo, (laughs) you know, which is a total, like, it's a total, like, well, if the, if the Republicans get elected, I'm moving to Canada. Like, no, you're not going to do yeah. that. You're not going to uproot your family and move to another country because of who got elected. Come on. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And so some time passed and now it's like, now everybody loves the logo. Now everybody wants to put everything in a hexagon and hexagons are great. And it's, it's kind of funny how yeah. that's, how that's worked out. Cool. So we'll definitely, uh, I feel like we could talk about this forever. kind of happens with most of the things we talk about because, well, we bring interesting topics on the show mostly. But for those of you that are kind of 
Sorry, go ahead. I said it seems that way from your from your past topics. I'm I'm very very honored to be here. Oh no, we've had definitely had demand to have you guys on here, so it goes yes. both ways. Doors were being beaten down. <laughs> so, to to those of you that are kind of new to the show, we ask our our guests uh, kind of a set of three questions at the end. Um, and the first question, uh, Isaac, is for kind of a call to arms. So, you know, for the community to get involved and in, in what you would like to see them kind of contribute or you know work on. I think um, I think the main thing that we need right now is just more people using Node, advocating for it, and helping new users in the uh, in the various channels, like in the IRC channels and in uh, GitHub and um, and the mailing list. Uh, you know, we are we're growing fast, and if you look at all the numbers, I mean, it's like we're still hockey sticking, but we're still quite a small community, and um, you know, it, it really. The more positivity that everybody brings to it, the more successful newcomers will be and, and the more it'll keep kind of compounding this this growing system. Right. Maybe something like a trinode.org or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean that would be that would be lovely. I think there is something like that. There's a learn you a node. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember uh, like I think it's kind of like a play on the learn you a Haskell for great good. Yep. But uh yeah, I mean, there's some there's some resources out there. I think just uh, continuing to um, help new people be successful and uh, guide them towards success is is extremely useful. Gotcha. If you are doing what you're doing now, um, whether it be a different environment, programming language, or you know, just personally something different, what would you like to do? I would really like to take, and this is this is probably going to happen eventually, but I, I would really like to take a good couple of years off from from software in general um and just kind of see what happens i I did a few months and npm happened and that has been extremely uh beneficial for myself and i think a lot of other people and uh yeah i don't know i I, there's this uh co-op bakery near my house that i I, every time i go in there i fantasize about just like being like ah screw technology i'm just gonna like i'm just gonna like do yoga and bake and (laughs) sell pizza and that's going to be my whole life it just seems so simple it's funny because i think that the common you know i don't know why but for some reason like the trendy things that that you hear a lot about are some in the in the you know developer world are woodworking uh you know cooking or baking of some sort and music like those are kind of the three things that people seem to to gravitate towards And, and i think it just kind of speaks to uh creating something physical with your hands you know what i mean yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a real um, when you when you make like a perfect pastry. I mean, that is like so so satisfying, um, and it's it's difficult. You know, you can't do it at home because you need like the chilled table and and massive amounts. Of, I mean, you need in order to make a really good croissant, you have to make a hundred of them. Yeah. So, kind of opportunity to give you a shout out to a hero of yours. Um, we call it a programmer hero. Who who's somebody that's kind of impacted you in your life? Um, I, you know, I, you told me that you were going to ask me this question and I, all I could think of is a lot of people who I would want to, uh, to shout out to, but I, I think, um, if I had to pick one, I mean, honestly, I'd have to say Ryan, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it might sound kind of cheesy, but, uh, you know, like I said, is, um, his aesthetic with node really, um, called out to me. And I think that he has, a really good, um, 
really good view of what's important when it comes to writing software, that it needs to be fast, it needs to delight the user, and it just needs to you know, work really well. And um, as much as I find myself cursing him because I've inherited a bunch of his code and frequently find bugs in it, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that in, a, in any, in any pr- platform or any like, significantly sized programming project, you see a lot of the, um, a lot of the aesthetic of the original creator in, in everything. It kind of permeates the entire thing. And I think um, you know, NPM is very much my aesthetic, and, and Node still is very much Ryan's. I think that a lot of that has, uh, has been maintained. And so I think um, it's, it's definitely been an inspiration to keep working on Node. I, I really like it a lot. Awesome. Well, yeah, like I said, I, you know, we could talk about this forever, but we're coming up on that that uh, hour time limit so i just wanted Very to long. yeah i just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on the show man i mean hearing about you know i don't know just node and, and the community that's coming up under it is is really kind of exciting so just wanted to say thanks for uh you know all the hard work and and the work you put into yourself to to prevent burnout so you can keep this train going man all right thanks Real quick before we go, I want to mention that we are member-supported, so you can head to thechangelog.com slash membership to show some love. Um, if, you'd like to get, if you'd like to get updates every Thursday in your inbox from The Changelog, you can sign up for our newsletter at thechangelog.com slash weekly. That's right. Um, and now you can hack in style with your very own Changelog t-shirt. You can get yours at thechangelog.com slash store. If you're a member, you get 20% off. Uh, once again, you can check out Pete Keen's ebook at petekeen.net slash mastering dash modern dash payments. That's how it for sp- today's show. How do you spell Pete King? Pete Keen. It's P E T E K E E N dot net. It's a lot of E's. Pete Keen. That's what I would have guessed. Yeah. So that's it for today's show. Thanks again to Isaac Schluter for joining us. And until next week, guys, let's say goodbye. Later. Bye.